0: It's time to switch on the computer, and let's get computing!
1: For an artist, really working to answer that question too, and like make make this entire system um, more tangible and more digestible for people through art and how art communicates, and that's why it makes so much sense. Like that's why that's why PFPs make a lot of sense. That's why crypto art makes sense. It's like
2: these these ways of attempting to communicate what this is all about. I realized there are a bunch of other nerds around the world that I care about the intersection of art and tech too. And- well, okay. Now what are we
0: going to do for fun? If only I could think of something, we'd better put on our thinking caps.
1: Test, 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 Realize. test. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Dankness. I am one of your hosts, Dan Sickles.
2: I am Jason Bailey, a.k.a. Artnum, one of your other hosts. And we are hosting some of the best minds in the cryptosphere for conversation about their work, their life, and digging into a bit more of the mythology surrounding the space. Yeah, so Dan and I realized that a lot of times uh, these uh, artists and collectors and personalities in sort of the crypto art NFT space we read kind of the same questions and the same answers from them and a lot of interviews and podcasts and you know sometimes it feels like they always were just kind of famous um and don't necessarily it's like hard to relate sometimes but having known a lot of them before the space blew up um we wanted to start a podcast where we intentionally try to get at who they are as as humans um not just as sort of famous and accomplished you know artists in the space so Um, We're trying to sort of flesh out who they are by asking unusual questions and being a little bit more casual, and uh, we've been having a ton of fun with it so far. Yes, we have. I'm super, super stoked for
1: today's episode, episode number two. Today, we have in studio with us one Miss Sarah Zucker. I think I said (laughs) that right. Did I say that right, Jason? I I think
2: it's uh, Zucker. I think yeah, you've gone back and forth Zucker, a few times, but right. I, I I don't I don't, I don't yeah, claim to be an expert, right. but I think it's you know, Zooker
1: Zucker. I'm probably going to mess it up regardless uh, when we when we yeah. chat with her today. But yeah, Sarah's one of my favorite artists. So 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 stoked to have her in the studio with us. Uh, shall we get to but it? You like that? Yeah, let's do it. Forget about it. We give I'm you scared. the dankness. Exactly. Cool.
2: You guys are cool. Club NFT is a free club for NFT collectors. We help collectors analyze their collection and keep it safe by creating local backups. And it's all free. Why not go to Club NFT today and analyze your collection and make sure that it's safe by creating a local backup? Your JPEGs will thank you.
1: All right, all right. Welcome back. To the Dankness. This is a segment that we call Show and Tell, where each of us chooses something either relevant to the cryptosphere or not to share about our past week. Uh, Jason,
2: I will call on you this time. How about you go first and tell us
0: what's up? I got some shit that's
3: dank.
2: Yeah, I think everybody has been talking about um, FTX collapse and SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, you know, the IRS and the IRS, uh, and the IRS uh, the FBI, the FBI, <laughs> lots of acronyms, lots of yeah, acronyms out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think from from my perspective, it's put a little bit of a chill on the space. You know, I, I run a startup in the space and we're in the middle of fundraising. And I think a lot of people are kind of nervous or anxious about like, how far is the FTX contagion going to reach? Is it going to, you know, like, are other companies going to go under? Or is like, what's it going to do to the NFT space? And I I actually, I personally lost about $4,000 in BlockFi, um, which was, you know, part mm. of sort of the, the far-reaching tendrils of the FTX collapse. You know, there's sort of dominoes sure. there. But I consider myself lucky. And look, the the message there, from my perspective, is like, shame on me right not your keys not your wallet anyone who's been in crypto for a a little while you know should know that and like the extension to that um you know the ftx had an nft platform as well and their nft platform much like i'm always
1: i see where you're going bailey much like i'm always
2: preaching right like uh do not you know buy (laughs) nfts that that put the art and the metadata on private servers because what happens well we, we actually now have seen a recent example when the ftx uh, nft platform went down all the images associated broke right with those nfts mm-hmm. because like there was no way for collectors to actually back them up so another acronym ipfs right you want to buy nfts that actually use ipfs instead of private servers so you the collector can back them up right so um I have not preach. Been, preach. I'm preaching, right? I mean, <laughs> preach, it, well, Bailey. you have to understand, Dan. I'm a year into like telling people this, and everyone's like. Marketplaces are never going to go under. NFTs are so strong. You're like, you know, chicken this is forever, little, man. <laughs> the, the sky is falling. You know, like, you're like yelling, the sky is falling and freaking people out, right? And now I'm like, see, see, like marketplaces do collapse. And like, if they don't build their NFTs correctly, it's like, it's bad news, right? But mm-hmm. I will say, like, I'm not freaked out like I'm still buying and collecting NFTs, of course, ones that can be backed up, um, you know, not just the the, or certainly not the ones that use private servers. And I'm still, you know, still carry crypto. Um, But like this was sort of a wake up call or lesson, I think, for a lot of folks. I don't know, like how have you been impacted at all, Dan, or heard any stories, you know, as a result of FTX?
1: Fortunately, like I, I wasn't directly impacted uh, in the FTX implosion, um, and it was—I mean, it was going to be sort of my show and tell bit for today as well. So glad you brought it up. Um, you know, I think like, there's there's a lot. To, obviously, there's a lot to talk about here. I think for me, like it really sort of comes again to this uh, notion that like no one man should have all that power. Mm-hmm. Such a loaded quote right. to throw in here today, but it's true, right? It's just sort of like this, this, is a, this is a distributed system that we're building. There are actual tools in place to protect you from actually like losing your currency, losing your NFTs in this way. Not only by using something like a cold wallet, but by also backing them up, going to clubnft.com and doing so. Um, but like th- this system is built in a way to actually to to sort of counteract this idea that somebody can steal your things from you without you knowing in like sort of these like obtuse sort of traditional financial, you know, maneuvers that, that sort of layman like myself will never, ever completely understand. Right. And even in this fallout now, like you sort of see how he kind of. Um, talks around answering any direct questions as to what happened. Because I think that to me that that that's something that a lot of people from traditional finance world are just very what even to, is very used to. Like, oh, well, this is just so complicated that you just can't actually understand what went down. And I think that like the, the most important thing to take away from it is, again, not your keys, not your coin. Right. Um, there, there are ways that you can prevent your things being taken in the crypto sphere. And you should absolutely be using a cold wallet. Um, I've talked to my friends at a few companies That's and like, good. you know, I guess the silver lining here is that <clears throat> this sort of implosion has been a boon for those cold wallet companies. You know, people are like actually very, they're, they're more invested than ever in figuring out how to back themselves up. Um, and, and I do think that there, that there is something positive in that. It's unfortunate that like people sort of arrive at this place, you know, by virtue of sort of these situations occurring but you know glad people are, are learning more about what they can do to protect themselves um from th- from you know losing their hard-earned oh, wow. nfts crypto whatever it is yeah for sure um, not a
2: good look for for crypto right like i i sort of uh, no. sarcastically tweeted when i first you know heard about it i'm like Oh, I think I understand decentralization now. We all take all our money and put it in one spot under the authority of a single person who can, like, destroy us all, you know, which is like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, it it, it certainly looks I less understand. decentralized um, when when so many, you know, um, institutions and entities can collapse all because of one person. It actually looks less decentralized than traditional finance in a way, right? But maybe this is the wake up call. and. And you know my OG friends in the space that have been in crypto for five, ten years or whatever, like those were the folks that weren't impacted, right? Because they they know better and they kind of keep their own keys and you know have everything set up properly. And to your point, Dan, for the rest of us, I think it's it's a wake up call. You know, we we learn, we move on, and we continue Emergency. to build. Emergency.
1: With that,
2: a pre roll. digital art has been historically undervalued. One film is here to set the record straight. Featuring over 100 artists, collectors, and developers, each an important voice in the NFT community, partially funded with the cutest NFT project you've ever seen, Depop Studios presents I'm New Here. Learn more and mint your newbie today at newhere.xyz. text text
0: dang, text text
1: dang, 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 the Dankness. Um, For today's episode, we have a very, very special guest. Sarah Zucker uh, is in our studio. Sarah Zucker, ladies and gentlemen, is an artist and a writer based in Los Angeles. Uh, Her work merges humor, myth, and mysticism with the interplay of cutting edge and obsolete technologies. She's known for mixing digital and physical video techniques with the analog medium of VHS. She's been additioning her work as NFTs on the blockchain since April 2019. Her work was part of Natively Digital, the first curated NFT sale at Sotheby's, and Crypto OGs, the pioneers of NFT art at Bonhams. Uh, In 2022, she she was named to the inaugural NFT 100 list by NFT Now as one of the top artists working with NFTs. She's participating in Peer to Peer, which is the first survey of leading artists engaging with the blockchain, presented at an American museum. We're going to talk a bit more about this later in the episode. Um, Her GIFs have over 6.9 billion views on Giphy. And um, one of my favorite tidbits about Sarah is that she is a Jeopardy champion, also something that we will probably touch on in our conversation with her today. Personally, uh, Sarah is one of my favorite artists working today, full stop. Um, Her work is irresistibly magnetizing. It draws us in like moths to a VHS flame. Uh, The way that she articulates the relevance and erratic potential for the movement and genre is very rare. And anybody interested in this space, as an artist, as a collector, as an admirer, you should absolutely, absolutely spend some time listening to the various talks and lectures and interviews that she's given because they are absolutely spectacular. Some particular works of hers that I love, um, Everything's Different Now, The Light Witch, Licky Loaf, It's the Witch Not the Wand, and The Cassandra Complex, um, of of which there are so many others that, again, I encourage you to check out. Um, I've personally been fortunate enough to collect some of her work on Tezos. Um, She mints on, on various blockchains as well, something that we can talk about. Um, but you can find more about Sarah and her work on her website at sarahzucker.com, S-A-R-A-H-Z-U-C-K-E-R.com, and at The Sarah Show on all the socials. So, so amped to have her today and to spend some time chatting with her. Um, but before that, Art Gnome, I mean, you and, you and Sarah go way back. Um, I would love to hear how you became uh, friends, how you, how, you, how you met each other
2: yeah yeah so I mean, I think we've known each other for like four years now, maybe. Um, you know, I had been stalking Sarah and her work on um on super rare for a while and uh didn't wasn't aware of sort of her uh success on giphy and you know and and how much she had accomplished before sort of the crypto art space i just saw this person that whose work stood out from everybody else's work so she puts herself into the work and there's like these really trippy like videos early on of her kind of coming in and out of the frame um and then you know this old school sort of vhs style work and uh she has sort of two of my favorite qualities which are hard to find in one person. She's super smart and she's super weird in like the best possible way, right? So true, so true. So and you just don't get that <laughs> um very often in in the same person. So what happened like the, the being aware of Sarah for a while, what happened that actually led to us getting to know each other? Um I had made maybe the, my first big sale on a secondary market as a collector of an NFT. And at the time I was conflicted because I'm like, I don't even know that I want to sell anything, but there weren't really any secondary sales happening. Money, and I money, felt money. like someone has to show that like, there's actually potential for a secondary sale, but I immediately committed to spending like, you know, the majority of what I made on other artists. And I knew I wanted, um, uh, as much of Sarah's work as I could get. So I, I kind of remember Sarah can, can, uh, help me, you know, if this is accurate or not, but I think like the day after I made the sale, I bought like four or five works and I basically told everybody on Twitter, I was like, you guys are all losers. This work is great. It's been there and it's been available (laughs) and no one picked it up. And now that I have money, like, because there was a lot of like, questionable work. I mean, I feel like we're honest on this podcast so I can just say what I really think. There was a lot of work selling that I was just like, man, I don't think that's very good, right? Oh, but man. here's Sarah's work kind of just sitting there. There were a few collectors there before me but I was just like, I am scooping it all up and it's really good and you missed out, right? It is kind of, And... Since then, uh, you know, I, I we've met only once, believe it or not, in uh, I think it was uh, NFT in America or something like that in LA, uh, in real life, but have talked a bunch. And I really think of her as sort of like my, my crypto art sister in a weird way, which hopefully she can say whether or not that's weird or not. But I think we vibe on a lot of different levels. So yeah, just has been, you know, I've seen a lot of people come up in the last four or five years in this space as the community's grown and I've seen a lot of people become successful, but few do I root harder for and get more excited about, um, than seeing opportunities open up for Sarah. Um, you know, maybe we can come back to it and talk about it at a certain point, but I also think, you know, when I see opportunities or, or, feel uh, ardent about a cause I often reach out to Sarah too so there was a work of hers that I wanted to sell an important work to me from my collection um, to help support uh, women's reproductive rights Um, and I thought it can't just be any work it has to be like one of my absolute favorite works right so I reached out to Sarah and said hey like I don't want to bring like unnecessary like attention to you in ways that you're not comfortable with but like I'm really pissed off about this and I feel like if I don't say anything, then I'm not going to feel good about it, you know? And and we kind of teamed up for that too. So yeah, I mean, just someone I uh, admire and respect and, and I'm glad to call a friend.
1: How are you, Sarah? I
4: mean, <laughs> I'm positively glowing over here. <laughs> you guys are so nice to me. And, and yeah, Jason, I mean, of course, you're my, you're my crypto art brother. I mean, we've, the the level of sheer psychedelic weirdness <laughs> that we've seen <laughs> together, you know, I'm really grateful. That um, was you're one tribute. of the people that one of the people in this space that um, you help orient me. You know, like sometimes you can feel really lost at sea, and there's really a very short list of people that I kind of like will check in with and like you know see see what you've got going on. Look at your Twitter feed because it like it helps me kind of get on back on my feet and be like no this is okay we've got this we've got this (laughs) like the good the good people are still here doing good things right and and it's easy to forget that uh with the deluge of scammy bullshit (laughs) that kind of can we're here for the party um you know take center stage um for sure yeah, but it's you, you have
1: mm-hmm. yeah, you have so much going on. I feel like in like the past year and especially like the past few months, you know, you've had so many releases, you've been very prolific. Mm. Um, I, I would love to hop straight into it, you know, about, about sort of a big exhibition coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have peer-to-peer, you know, mentioned it in, in your intro, but I, I don't I don't want to sort of skip over the significance of this exhibition. Um, can, can you tell us a bit about that, what that's all about, and, and why in, in Sarah's view. Um, is this significant, to be working so closely with a museum?
4: Yes. So Peer to Peer is an exhibition organized uh, by Dr. Tina Rivers Ryan. Uh, she's, she's a curator at the Buffalo AKG Art Museum, uh, formerly known as the Al- Albright Knox Gallery. Um, and I just am... I'm over the moon that I was asked to be a part of this. Um, I was, you know, saying to you guys, like, it's it's one of those instances where people that are sort of my heroes are now feeling like my peers, and that is, um, that's one of those moments that you sort of work for for a long time in life, or or what can feel like a very long time, and that's kind of what you're pointing yourself at, right? Is is you're going. I'm grinding and I'm, I'm doing the work because I want to get there, you know, and I, and I wasn't always there. Like it, it took a lot of effort and a lot of like personal development of my own artistic voice, my own artistic potency to be at this place. Um, and peer to peer is really exciting. Uh, you know, listen, like there's, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of, firsts. (laughs) firsts. <laughs> There's a lot of firsts in this space. Um, but I, I trust, uh, you know, Tina's guidance uh, as, as an expert in the field of digital art, uh, that this is the first survey of leading artists working with the blockchain at an American museum. Um, I believe there was a museum in Austria that's that's that did a similar show uh, maybe a year or so ago. And uh, Francisco Carolinum, I think, uh, it's the museum. But this is sort of a watershed moment. Uh, I almost picture it as it's like we this tidal wave, right, that was 2021, that was the hype, that was the like, oh, my God, NFTs, 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 what are we going to do? The sky is falling, NFTs. Um, and as that hype has just receded and that tide has gone out <laughs> sort of slowly all through this year, you know, with the market, you um, And a lot of the financial speculation aspect of it all has less mm, lessened, at least in the sense of like what what everyone thinks this is all about. It's revealing that artists are still using this technology. Artists are still pushing this technology forward and that we're actually at this moment where because some of the more grotesque aspects are diminished um, institutions, uh, cultural institutions that I personally value, are beginning to value us. Um, I think. Can we you know, can we dig into art.
1: that for, for yeah. a second too? Because I think you know I I and for people listening for for a bit of context, like Sarah is somebody since she's been uh, single digits. I, I believe, has really been, like, fighting for the right to make work digitally. <laughs> um, and, oh, nice. you know, I think, like, a lot of, a lot of your story um, involves feeling very much on the fringes of the art community, right? Uh, definitely the art market. When is stuff um, and, and really sort of, like, working to carve out your own space. Um, I, I guess I wonder, you know, I, I imagine that there's a relationship then between in, an institution like a museum and an artist who has been through this experience subjectively. Can, can you sort of tell me about that? Cause I, I, mm-hmm. I for myself, I imagine that like, there are moments where I'm like, ah, well screw the movie theaters. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, I wonder sort of what that journey has been like. Yeah. Has been oh, like for you as an artist. Yes.
4: We all feel that way. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of voices in the space that are very anti gatekeeper. Everything is anti gatekeeper, right? And anything anything or anyone who is in a position to say yes this no that is is considered a gatekeeper right and I've always sort of taken issue um not with the term itself just with such a broad definition of that term right that I think that if we deny the ability to qualify art the ability to to curate truly like what curation is um we lose something pretty significant like I think that a lot of that maybe comes from folks mm, maybe not really understanding what the actual job of curator is. It's not just keeping people out. Well and, <laughs> and, and um, you know, as I said, that, like, this has been a journey for me. Like, Jason pointing out that I, I joined Super Rare in April of 2019, right? I'd been making, at that point, I'd been a working artist doing digital art since like 2012, so that's what's math seven years. <laughs> like you know, I had really developed my craft at that point, and I was I was pretty confident at that point in my um, ability to show work that was uniquely mine. And I wouldn't say that was always the case. That that took time to develop that, and. Um, you know jason saying that that like I, I actually think i was pretty fortunate that first year on super rare like i felt like i sold pretty regularly but it was not common for any of us to like s- sell every piece sell every work you know it was just very different back then and why i'm referencing that and and i've told jason this that jason has um you know people respect his his opinion people respect his eye for for art and his his background in art if you say so, so him you know putting his money where his mouth is buying like four or five pieces of mine and then telling everyone hey i just bought these four or five pieces like y'all are crazy that you're you're not like buying this this person's work I, I that basically kicked off this snowball that has led me to this moment that has led me to um this space of sort of respect that i find myself in that i did not always have and um I offer that up because, right? I really, I really did have to struggle through many years of, um, like, this was the inspiration for a recent collection I made called Jackie Rex, that's inspired by the story of Jacob, and um, I think a lot. I've always loved the story of Jacob wrestling the angel, and and over the years, that's come to very specifically mean to me you know what it is to be an artist uh that like (laughs) I said that to my therapist this week of like nobody wants their child to be an artist like this was not (laughs) this was not sanctioned (laughs) this this career path was not sanctioned in any way shape or form for me and yet I just I have my entire life I've been wrestling that angel and I've been saying I will not let go of you until you bless me I I demand it like I will not let go and um I guess I'm off I'm offering this story up and kind of letting it weave this way because uh in the in this market which is so punishing this this bear market that the past year um watching artists kind of I think get hit worse than anyone because especially a lot of folks who really thought that a new pathway was opening up for them and now they've had to you know reckon with the fact that just because we have this new technology that helps us validate digital art editions does not mean we necessarily have a wide collector base for it yet. Like it's, Mm. that's going to take time. All of us who, who started getting into this, you know, us nerds who were into this before the hype cycle, I didn't expect it to kick off so quickly. It's, it's COVID like that's why it kicked off so quickly. That's why this, this like wave of excitement came in from, from, Collectors and and exactly. investor types looking to you know make make some money. Um, I still am Bobby, Bobby. bullish on the culture and um, bullish on this sense of like this has all been it's like two steps forward one step back. That's what we've done here mm. and and I I feel how artists are hurting. I have these conversations and and I. I have such empathy for it because I've I've been there, right? Like I I've been there a lot. I also like you dan like I've also worked in the entertainment industry. So y'all, I'm traumatized. Like it's <laughs> it's like traumatic. It's really a traumatic yeah. to be an artist. Like you really um that is what it is. You're wrestling this angel. You're wrestling something that is bigger than you, that is stronger than you, and it takes a true sense of like deep inner knowing to go this is my calling and I will not let go of it until I receive my blessing and so here we are I'm, I'm working with people this listening
1: exam. to you know definitely definitely check out Sarah's collection Jackie Rex um it was just dropped on Nifty Gateway I believe it was- Probably four weeks ago, Thank. Um, stunning pieces and uh, Thank you. watching them. Even even in this, in reference to this conversation, you know, it it makes total sense. Sort of where, where this came from. Um, <clears throat> I, I I would sort of also love to chat like sort of before NFTs a bit and sort of like your your work in gifts. because mm-hmm. um, I think that there's something there, and I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna sort of throw it out. I feel like they're like. Think like you're the type of person who deals with, with sort of like these non-question questions pretty yeah, well. Throw it out. <laughs> but I'm 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 wondering sort of about the connection between um, gifts and and icons, right? And sort of like if, if GIFs gifts are sort of like the the modern day version of, of an icon, because um, because your work, I mean, you use the word potent early, and to me, like they they. they a lot of your works are so they they are mimetic, right? Like it's like they are so con- condensed. Uh, I feel like it just, just sort of sort of speaking volumes, but in in this very in these very compact gifts. I mean, it, you know, JPEGs, images. Um, I wonder if that's something that that you've that you've considered or think about.
4: Oh yeah! Wow, I love how you put that. Um, and I think that the answer is yes and no, right? I think that. I very much, as an artist, am like my little tingly sensors are going off when you say that GIF as icon. Absolutely. In in the case of my work, I think that is very much true, and that's very much how I'm uh, how I'm approaching it. I also think GIF is a term, just like NFT, that is a completely blank container, right? Like that that a GIF, just like an NFT. Does not imply content whatsoever. It it simply implies the the containment of content, the package, the package, yeah. the, the delivery method, basically. And um, and and to that end, you know, because because uh, you know, there are certain aspects of the gifts I've made that have come to be very associated with gifts, such as they loop, such as they're very short, such as you know they're very bright and vibrant, internet referential none of those things have to be true about a gif like a gif can be minutes long it would be enormous but it could be minutes long a gif doesn't ha- i know plenty of gifs that don't loop a lot of reaction gifs for example don't loop um
2: infinite possibilities
4: to 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 dive in to like what you're saying is yeah i think what i always liked about the format of gif i mean i made my first gif i think when i was like 10 for my GeoCities website you know like <laughs> I've been working with you for for a so little cool. little while now. So um, geeky, cool. You're so geeky, <laughs> I know. But but yeah, like I I love the internet, and the internet loves me. Um, yeah. But uh,
3: into the future, the, yeah, it's with like it
4: is. It's what you said. It's internet. it's mimetic. It's it shares something with the notion of memes. You know, mimesis at its core being mimicry, being the way behavior travels is viral, right? Like that that GM is a perfect example of that, of like all it takes is one of us little primates doing (laughs) something silly and the other primates see it Yeah, yeah, and they're like, oh, that's fun. And then they start doing it too. And suddenly it's everywhere and suddenly it's language, right? GIF, I think, is a form of language. Like, you know, specifically the way we share it, share GIFs on Twitter, though I know there's some debate around apparently only people born before a certain moment, I guess, do that. I guess that's cringe now to share gifts, but whatever. Gifts till I die. Um, that like a lot of the ways gifts get shared, it, it it is a form of language expression. And so when you get into like gifts that are art, uh, that's, I think that's still true, right? I think that they're the sacred and the profane all rolled up into one little glitchy twitchy ball (laughs) Mm. um yeah and I love that they have infinite duration too it's it's Dan I'm sure you know like when you submit to like film festivals and things like that that are sort of more on the cinema end of things they always ask you duration like that's important if you're making a documentary you need people to know this is an hour and a half long that's you can sit in the theater long enough without having to go to the bathroom you know Um, some people can I couldn't but still I digress (laughs) but for me, on duration, I always put infinite. And then they're always like, oh, God, this oh, one. Sarah oh, Zucker Jesus. Again. <laughs> oh, God. Infinite oh, duration. Great. <laughs> or variable. Oh, Sometimes I, that's usually anymore because I, I often work with, um, you know, I, I don't always work with GIF. A lot of times I, I do video, especially if I want it. Um, if it's important to me for it to not be overly compressed, I work with video Um, And I I really personally find the two largely interchangeable. Um, But when I am working with video and I have to be asked for duration, usually the video files I prepare for my collectors are the loop, which might be three seconds. And I and I put it there 10 times just because Internet web like video players have a skip and I'm sure every artist listening to this right now is like their asshole is clenching. Cause it's like, Oh, the skip, the skip. Why does it skip? Like it's supposed to loop. Why does it skip? And like, so I, I, that's my way of getting around that is I just put the loop you, like as many times as I can. I usually aim for somewhere around uh 30 to 36 seconds and 36 because it's a sacred number and because I am I really do get sort of granular and weird about things like that. I like love that kind of stuff. Little just like little witchy magical touches. But yeah, I'm like mm. this 36 seconds though already is the loop, you know, 10 times. So it's meant to just be played f- for as long as you want to look at it.
1: Mm. Yeah, Bailey, I'm, I'm curious sort of like if, if sort of those memetic qualities or sort of like what I'm trying in a roundabout way to describe sort of what I love and admire about Sarah's work, if, if that's something that you also saw in collecting it when you did.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've on the record as saying that that memes might be the most important art of this generation. Of course, I've also said that digital art's the most important art of this generation. At some point, <laughs> someone's going to call me out that I keep calling everything the most important art of this generation. <laughs> But I do think that memes in particular went under the radar for a really long time because people think it, of it as like cast off culture, like not as being important culture. I mean, one of the things that I think's unique and interesting about Sarah's work that I'll, I'll try to phrase more as a, a question than a comment is that she may be the only artist I know whose work gets 6.9 billion views by everybody in the world on Giphy, who also ends up in a major museum And at least, and this is where I'll put it as a question, in my opinion, there's not a dramatic shift in the content, right? So, like, those are two different audiences in my mind, right? 6.9 billion people that are just pretty much everyone. Everyone looks at Giphy. And then the, the people that I wish everyone went to art museums, but if we're honest with ourselves, not everyone has access and not everyone goes. And I think sometimes artists think, like... I'm going to do my like intellectual work for the art museum and like you know Absolutely. my silly work for Giphy. From my perspective, your you know the core of your work is the same across those different audiences, but I'm curious do you think of it like I'm going to make different work for this audience and for that audience or do you feel like there is sort of a core that carries over?
4: Oh, Jason, this is why this is why you're one of my faves is like I, I've no one's ever like asked me that. And like, yes, that's intentional. And that's um, it's intentional that my work is high, low is like how I would describe it. It's highbrow, lowbrow at the same time. And that is by design. It's actually uh, very inspired by, I would say, probably one of the most influential, like creative people people in my life was Kurt Vonnegut and I would say his writing is exactly that right it's I read Kurt Vonnegut I read Cat's Cradle for the first time when I was 11 years old and I was perfectly able to read it and like it blew my mind as an 11 year old I was like oh my god there's this whole world of thinking in this way that is so weird and out there and what is time and what is reality and people also are so funny and like that there's so much like humor also where you're like somehow it's so highbrow and then there's like a fart joke you know and to me it's like look at anything that stood the test of time look at shakespeare shakespeare's full of poop jokes like Not that I'm trying to compare myself to Shakespeare, but my point is that...
1: Lots of base humor. Yeah,
4: it's that like I feel that joy and humor and silliness are some of the most powerful tools we have at our disposal, especially in times of crisis, especially in times of intense societal challenge, which I think we're in right now. And, um, you know, it's caused, I you know, kind of what you were saying earlier, Dan, of like, I think for a long time, especially before my craft was sort of more refined, it caused my work to be um, tossed aside or looked over and seen as just sort of internet dross, you know, and it, maybe it was just internet dross at that time. But I really pride myself on my ability at this point to speak to... To like the inner child and the outer adult at the same time, and and bring that out in people and and like delight them in that way because I love, it, I love it. I don't know. Maybe it's that I'm like secure in my intelligence. Like I'm an educated person, and I think I figured out pretty early on in my education that things that are like overly highfalutin and overly intellectualized are just phony. Like it's, it's just feels so phony to me. Like it's just people trying Absolutely. to be seen exactly. as smart. And cool. I don't cool. need people to it's see It's also me a smart. metric
1: that you can't necessarily win, right? Like if you're, if you're trying to do the smartest thing or, or be objectively correct in your art, then it will inevitably be bad, right? Mm. If not bad, um, it's a metric that is boring. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Exactly. Which I would, I guess, equate with, with badness, but yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's not a metric that necessarily can apply to an art practice.
2: Right. I do wonder also, though, you know, talking about sort of your, your intellectual confidence um, and pairing that with your comments about how hard it is for artists right now today. One of the things that'd be cool to get you to talk about a little bit. You're one of the most vocal collectors I know, not in the sense of, I got, and we love Tyler Hobbs, not in the sense of I got my Tyler Hobbs or I got my X copy or the, like the the check the when boxes that shows that you have manager. wealth or that you can collect the, the people everyone else knows, but in that you have enough confidence to go out and collect art because you love it and you seem to not give a shit what anyone art. else thinks about, art you know, is. other than you want them to enjoy it the way you enjoy it, but like you're not trying to follow the bingo card of like checking off all the artists that everyone else has. How do you so A, you know, how do you think about your own collecting and, and and am I right in that? And then B, and maybe this is an unfair question, but I think you share an interest that I have in getting collectors to collect more broadly, a more diverse group of artists. How do we think about helping people and I don't know, maybe this sounds condescending, but I think in building the confidence to be able to collect art that they love or that they find interesting and isn't just necessarily the most popular, you know, is that even a fair statement?
4: Oh, I think that's such a fair statement. And it's one of the things I think that's been so uh, brutalizing for artists this past year is watching a lot of the collectors in the space hedge their bets and just double down on the same people uh, and same things, you know, regardless of artistic quality there you know and um so what i would say to collectors as as an i'm as ardent a collector of art nft editions as i am a creator of art nft editions uh in my case i'm an artist right and i have a very um uh strong aesthetic sensibility that i trust completely it's never steered me wrong and I know uh, I know a lot about art and about art making because I've been a working artist for my entire adult life. Uh, that that also makes it so that I'm not worried uh, typically about the pitfalls uh, of collecting, which is often like if you uh, collectors I think worry they're buying something derivative and they don't then they don't know if it's derivative or not. And that's actually a, a really good concern to have. I think you're actually a smart good collector if you recognize you don't know enough about things to know if you are collecting from the person who originated that idea and is originating that style of artwork or if you're collecting from a copycat because the second something becomes popular copycats come out of the woodwork and so what I would say to collectors um and this brings to mind actually I was just uh in a, did a little curated NFT launch with a collector of mine who goes by Super Pot Secret. His name is Shaheen. He's awesome. And he was telling me he got, you know, he got into traditional, like phys- physical, object-based art collecting well before he got into NFTs through this platform, Avant Art, which is where we released the work. And I thought it was so interesting what he was saying was sort of like, you know, it it's like if that's if you're seeing stuff that excites you, like you can trust that, you can trust that feeling. Mm. It's kind of like the feeling of being in love or being attracted to a person. It's it's yeah, you feel it think. like it's a warmth Dang. you feel in you where you're like ooh 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 like I love that. That's exciting Dang. to me. And and then you can take that feeling and then and then what's great is you do have like avant art is a great platform for that. That it helps educate collectors. It's it's pointing them towards here's why you're excited about this artist and here's why we're presenting them to you. And it really, I think that's been why it's been so successful is it's kind of onboarded a new generation of young art collectors by speaking their language. And the way that relates to NFTs is that, you know, this is all still so nascent, but there are people who've emerged in the space, uh, you know, like, like Jason, myself, Dan, you know, like, like there are there are many of us and, and you know I flatter us to say that of course but but I but I also um am very um I believe in my ability to find what's good I'm i I'm a truffle pig like I I know when I smell the good stuff you know and so <laughs> and so that's what I say I to collectors that. is like instead of if what you're I'm really sure. excited Dang. about is art collecting and this isn't just an investment strategy, which if it's just an investment strategy, any any guide to investing would tell you there are better things to invest in. Like,
2: you, <laughs> you really,
4: uh, really should only yeah. collect art if you love art because, Preach. yes, you, you can make a lot of money, but There's just go, art. baby, just yeah. go buy an index fund. Like, you know, yeah. like... Don't gamble There's some real on real estate art.
1: if you must. Right, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. it,
4: so it's to say that's that's what would be my mandate to collectors, which is look at look at the folks in the space who are um, you know genuine about this, and look to artists, look to the artists who collect. I feel like I've been shouting that from the rooftops for years because a. Artists tend to not have as much money to throw around as these big collectors. So if we're spending our money on something, you know, we love it, you know. Um, oh, they're nice. And, and, and that's, you know, look at artists you respect, I should say. not, not <laughs> Artists are not a monolith. They encompass a wide range of people and personality types. But, but I should say, look, if, if there's an artist you really like and you feel like, hey, I can't really afford that person's work. But, oh, he or she is always collecting and is sharing, you know, these other artists who they're sort of like, like, I I really do. I view my collection as like I'm vouching for the people I collect. Jason, just like you vouched for me. And that made a huge difference in my career that continues to snowball and can, and like build to this day. And so, um, yeah, it's it's that it's it's like it's. It, it's worth it's worth tuning in to what people are collecting that's not just the same the same stuff over they're and over attracted again.
1: to dank places to, to, to yeah. the other side of that I guess <clears throat> um, you know I, I am curious being the person who's been in this space who's been a working artist in this in this particular um, I, I'd say genre that's sort of finding its own name or whatever um, for, for so long and being the person who has maybe been sitting on their therapist couch being like these gifts are going to be something you know very Cassandra-esque like that's I wonder good. and also being the person who is a Jeopardy champion you know um, I guess I, I'm, I'm really curious as to like what, what alchemy you've found that works best for you that, that centers you in in all of that in, in sort of that has led you to speak with the confidence that, that I, s- I hear you speaking with today, that I met you with, like when you sit here and you say, I, I know how to do my work and I know how to do it well. And I know what great work looks like. Um, You know, we can recognize that there are probably younger artists listening who aren't there yet. Uh, can't say those words yet with confidence. And I'm, and I'm wondering for yourself, how you found that.
4: Oh, that is such a great question. And because we
1: need more of that. We yeah. need more. I think especially Sarah's like we need we need this like artist yeah! sitting us down and being like no 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 I I know something. I know what's up actually. I'm not asking for you to buy my work coming and begging mm-hmm. but like this is this is great shit. Whether you get it or not, you know and Yeah. And
4: I think so, there's, you know, so there dead. is undeniably an innate aspect of it like that I just was born this person that I am and have managed to not let the world grind me down I think a podcast I quite like posited this notion and I've been chewing on it ever since that like that you you don't uh, it's rare that you meet adult women who are super playful and it's because it is just much fucking harder to be a person with a female body on this planet and in this society and I, I can certainly attest to that and I think that there is a lot about me being the way that I am that just from my youngest days I, I sort of defied that I defied the elements of culture and the elements of maybe where I grew up and what I experienced that would have snuffed out my joy um, and, and again, that's, that's just an innate thing in me that I, the, that, at every turn, every time I was sort of told I was too exuberant, told I was too talkative, told that girls shouldn't be know-it-alls and I went, well, too bad, I am, I am one, too bad. Um, and, and again, that's, that's like not, ad, un, that's unfortunately not actionable advice, uh. It's not actionable advice to say, this is how I, this is, I was born this way. But what, what the advice is in that is each of us is born with a temperament and each of us has an innate temperament. And you, you have to have honest conversations with yourself about your temperament. And uh, in the words of the great Kim Cattrall, like, I don't want to be in a situation for even an hour where I'm not enjoying myself. So (laughs) be honest with yourself yeah be honest with yourself about your temperament and for me it's it's something where I love people like I love this gabbing with you guys this is the highlight of my week um I feel very overwhelmed in a room with 500 people especially if all 500 of them are trying to come talk to me so I uh I'm just I know that about myself I know I'm I'm uh I'm I'm an extrovert with that limitation, uh, that I, I'm an extrovert who prefers intimate <laughs> conversation to mass participation. So, you know, and that's okay. I and mean, you're allowed to be the way you are and you're allowed to say, oh, I'm a little different. I'm a little divergent from what the norm seems to be or what people perform as the norm. We're all different. We're all special, unique little flowers.
2: Um, I, won- I wonder if this is a little bit, maybe this is a stretch of... The superpower of being a weirdo, right? Once you <laughs> realize that your odds of fitting in are, or, are next bailey. to like zero, then you stop trying to do that and you just do what you really like and you have confidence in what you like because you haven't grown up trying to like what other people like because th- that wasn't going to be your path, right? Um, so the free, maybe the freedom right. of being a weirdo on some level.
4: Oh, 100%. I am... I, I, I started identifying as weird, I think, when I was like five years old, proudly. It was cool to be weird in elementary school. It was middle school where all the girls were like, you're weird. And then I
3: was like, wait, wait, wait,
4: you used to like me because I was weird. What do you mean that's bad now? Well, this sucks. But but to speak further to your point, Dan, is I guess where the confidence in it comes from is also just putting in the time and I, I always catch myself, ta- I'm not that old. I catch myself talking about myself like I'm an ancient, like, wizened crone. I'm really not yet. But I have been doing this, you know, for a while. And uh, it's it's one of those pieces of advice. Like, I got this piece of advice when I was, you know, uh, in my early 20s and I was getting an MFA And it's very commonly given to people at that age, to young artists, which is you need to put in 10,000 hours. You need to put in 10,000 hours uh, in order to be a master of your craft. And um, there's a great This American Life episode where Ira Glass kind of expounds on that and also uh, talks about how you have to be willing to be shitty at what you do in order to earn being good at what you do. And that's why exactly. I speak so openly about that, because people can look. A lot of my work is is online. I've hidden some of it, but I've left most of it <laughs> up from like years ago. And you can really see my trajectory. You can see what that I started that? just like remixing other stuff, you know. And at this point uh, in my practice, I really create everything, mostly everything, 95 percent. I create completely like in studio myself. And it's it's not to say I have I think there's great assemblage and collage work out there. It's it's not a knock on remix work. It's just to say that like I think it's great for young artists or for people trying to figure stuff out to just kind of play around with other people's stuff. Now, do I think you should necessarily monetize that work? That's a completely different question, right? Um, and I think that that's what I see a lot of with young artists getting into this, editioning their work in a way that wasn't available to me back then when I was in their place. Where I kind of want to go. It's not that you can't. It's not certainly not my place to tell anyone what they can and can't do, but listen to the feedback loop of what the world is giving back to you. That that maybe your work isn't mature yet. Maybe your voice isn't mature yet. And maybe that's why you're not. Uh, finding great success with it. And the message is not quit. The message is not give it up, kid. The message is keep going. keep going. go deeper, make it deeper, make it make it more. Uh, make it more you. Stop trying to do what other people are doing and make it more you. and um, that's that's the only way. Sorry, there's no shortcut. like it's 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 that.
0: <laughs> I understand.
1: Sarah Zucker, I love chatting with you. I feel like be, these conversations always very much recenter myself. Oh, wait. Art gnome, did you hear You hear that? I, think, hear that I noise? think I
2: heard something. I think it might be time for 22 questions. Questions,
1: questions, questions. questions. This is the
2: segment where we rapid first, fire. Oh, sorry. Oh, we have a pre-roll. We got, got a pre-roll, Bailey. Uh, we've got a pre-roll, pre-roll, pre-roll. Pre-roll. are your nfts built to last sadly the truth is probably not about 40 percent of nfts store the images and the artwork and the metadata all off chain on private servers owned by the marketplaces so when the marketplaces go under poof there goes the value of your nft and less than 10 percent of nfts actually store all the files on chain and that's because it's really really expensive that leaves 50 percent of nfts which use ipfs The great news is for your IPFS NFTs, as long as you create a local backup, you can always restore your NFTs in the future. Go to clubnft.com and create a free backup today.
4: Please enjoy some Dank
0: what But if you like Dank... And... Second floor, third
1: Dank Room on the left. And we're back. We are back on this
2: episode of The Dankness. Bailey, you want to introduce this segment? I know it's your favorite. It is. I jumped the gun earlier because I love it so much. Now <laughs> it is officially time for... 22 questions, questions, questions. questions, questions. This is the time when we ask rapid-fire questions from all walks of life to try to get to the unique viewpoints and little tidbits about our guests' lives that don't normally get asked or exposed in the everyday interview. Very excited for Sarah's uh, answers today. I don't know, Dan, I don't know who went first last time, but maybe we'll have you kick it off with question numero uno.
1: Question number one, Miss Sarah Zucker, what did you eat for breakfast this morning?
4: I made myself a glorious plate of fried eggs over easy with avocado and air fried tempa.
1: Dang. <laughs> I'm like literally eating popcorn right now as my breakfast. That's so impressive. I'm a little
2: fancy. <laughs> I think I had coffee. That's I'm jealous. <laughs> could, could you please, Sarah, describe the state of your bed right now?
4: It is made with a little, with a little, uh, souvenir pillow filled with pine needles from the Catskills. Ooh,
1: that's- no way. Wait, are you, are you <laughs> one of these, like, are you, like, you wake up and you make your bed right away, like, military corners and all of that? Y- y-
4: yeah, and I didn't, I'm, I'm actually kind, I'm, like, in my studio right now, and my studio is a mess, but yeah, I like to keep my house, like, I, I'm kind of, like, a big Martha Stewart fan. I, like, I, I'm, I'm a... I like domestic engineering. <laughs>
1: like, I, I did do not know this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to visit your place one day. <laughs> um, do you prefer a pencil or a pen? And do you have a, a preferred brand?
4: I have a very strong preference for pen only. <laughs> I loathe pencil. I break pencil. I write incredibly hard. Like I always have. I leave like, I like inscribe the paper. And my favorite kind of pen is a Pilot G two. I've been using them for like fifteen years.
1: I love G twos. They're like they're like the they're perfect the amount of thickness. Yep. Yeah, they're
2: the best. Yep, for sure. I need to get in on this G two action. I've yeah. been stuck with pencils my whole life. Uh, <laughs> how old were you when you received your first computer?
4: I actually, uh, there. My family had a computer when I was born, and I, I. Was thinking about this recently. I learned to type at the same time I learned to write, which is unusual for someone my age. And I think it's why my handwriting is absolute chicken scratch.
1: Question number five is, who is your favorite philosopher or thinker?
4: Off the top of my head, I'm going to say Sartre, just because lately I've really been feeling that hell is other people.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Really been not feeling Kim that Cattrall. <laughs>
2: and
4: Kim <laughs> Cattrall. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you say so
4: she really <laughs> believes that hell is other people specifically her her cast castmates on sex in the city
2: <laughs> next question very important uh maybe a little personal foosball air hockey mini golf or ping pong i believe it's a combo question so first question foosball or air hockey second question mini golf or ping pong
4: definitely foosball love a foosball love the how <laughs> Like ooh, I love it. I love clicking on that little ball, right? <laughs> and uh, what's the next one? Mini golf versus what's my other option? Ping pong. Ping Mini pong. golf. Mini golf. Def- Ping pong is too stressful. I don't like any activity where there are balls flying at my face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please. <comment. laughs> what's uh? What's your preferred pizza topping? And what's your least preferred pizza topping?
4: Oh, I have not been able to eat pizza for years cuz it like wants to murder me. Um I would I'm That's I'm cool. a purist. Actually no, I'm going to say if not just like a plain cheese pizza, I would say my favorite pizza topping if I could eat pizza is onions, like just white onions, just put them all up oh, on there. Man. Least least favorite pizza topping, I mean off the top of my head I'm going to say like anchovies. Don't people put that on pizza? Fish and cheese—that's unholy.
1: Makes no sense. Exactly.
4: So I have cool. an important follow-up:
2: cool. uh, car- caramelized onions, or you want like those kind of bitey, like uncooked, almost just like onions. some raw, just like both. <laughs> I'm, I
4: I love a stinker. I love an aromatic vegetable. Uh, they don't love me back so much anymore, but I love them. Can't get enough. In any any way, oh, love them.
2: <laughs> woman after my own heart this is why this everyone's
4: one, glad think, now that they only engage with me on the internet because i just told them all I <laughs> use, like onions and garlic well, <laughs>
2: onions and we uh, don't yet
4: have smell of vision yeah
2: <laughs> so this one i think our last guest had to pass on it because they wanted time to think about it but it is kind of a deep question so who in the world would you like to meet but haven't
4: oh my god that's such a good question I'm going to I'm I'm like I'm going to just go through a Rolodex in my head. This is this is like not deep, but I, the first person who comes to mind is Kate Blanchett. I think wow. she's fabulous think she's fabulous she is so
1: fab honestly uh, mine was britney spears sarah so yeah okay uh, cool you know, we're kindred spirits there <laughs> i think that, that i'm
4: also like i i have like a huge crush on Kate blanchett so it's it was it's i was like cool yeah i'm not that deep actually <laughs> like it's, it's, i really just like oh uh, Kate blanchett
1: <laughs> what's um next question oh. is what's one vice that you'll openly admit
4: Oh, one vice that I'll openly admit that's hard because how do you define a vice, right? Like I, I try really to like live my life without shame, you know? Uh, So it's like anything I do, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. But I guess it's like, it's no secret. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a pothead, you know? Like, so I, I think that that might be traditionally considered a, a vice. Like, I, love it. I don't define it that way. And I'm in a very nice place with it in my life at this point, And it, it gives me a lot of joy. So,
1: <laughs> You are speaking on the dankness. Right?
4: I am on so. the dankness. Right. Oh, no, Gotta got keep it dank. <laughs> yeah.
2: well, this is a no judgment zone. Yeah. And so- an often overlooked per- aspect of your personality is.
4: An often overlooked aspect of my personality. Oh, that's a hard one. Oh, I don't know. What don't people
1: know about you that you're like, why doesn't anyone know that I'm funny? You know?
4: Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, what's why it's stumping me is because I feel like when I'm on the internet, I'm being really myself. Like I'm being really pretty open about how I really am and, and like, and like showing how I really am. And so um, all my internet friends are getting like the real me and, and like getting it. So, so I'll answer that by saying in person, I think it's exactly that, Dan. I have had that experience my entire life where people look at, like, the package of what this is and they dis- they decide in their heads, I'm, like, a very different type of person and they think I'm, like, a me- like they have blonde girl trauma, right? So they mm. think I'm mean. They assume I'm a bitch and they don't realize it's, like, oh, I'm such a goofy goober, like, and and it's it's you can't you can't always go into every situation with like a clown nose on honking a horn right so it's like when I'm just being normal (laughs) people are like "Mm, I don't know about her you know so it's that Hmm. I think sometimes people don't get that as Jason said I'm a weirdo (laughs) like definitely live on the continuum between miss piggy and gonzo like that's that's where i (laughs) exist so
1: (laughs) i love that um what's if you had to choose one what would you say is your favorite era of art
4: oh i'm off the top of my head of course i could say many but the one i've just continually dive into is like the 1920s and uh german expressionism specifically and it's always grabbed me and it's so weird we're obviously now in the 2020s so i think there's maybe just a certain like time travel thing i have with that era where i i relate to those people i relate to how they were thinking i relate to their sense of like oh my god the world is modernizing everything's changing so rapidly what are we going to do we're going to paint crazy ass paintings is what we're going to (laughs) do we are going to make things that look like feelings and I like to make things that look like feelings. So, yeah, the 1920s for sure. Oh, o- nice.
2: Always wanted to curate a digital expressionism show, and I yeah. think your work fits like clearly, like right, right in there. So I can see that connection for sure. Uh, let's we'll see. Ahead. If you could change just one thing about your neighborhood, what would it be, Sarah?
1: Your IRL neighborhood, oh, your metaverse that's neighborhood. that's
4: Hard. The thing I'm gonna say is is really it has it has layers to it it's it's that there are a lot of big scary dogs in yards and I love dogs I love them love dogs I'm a little I'm a little scared of big dogs like if they're barking at me and I'm not sure how they're um how they're like (laughs) being contained you know and I love to walk I I walk uh, it's walking is like how I ground myself I walk three miles every day like it's I you gotta touch grass guys you know so um that's the one that's my one complaint is I, I get very in my poor little sensitive nervous system just completely flips out when a dog is running at me and barking
1: mm. How rare what's is one rare? piece of art that you'd like to own but don't it's funny or by an that. artist
4: yeah it's funny you ask that I've I've recently been indulging in like I found this website called live auctioneers that lets you participate in art auctions. Uh, like, like not, yeah, not Christie's (laughs) Sotheby's, but like, uh, you know, there are a lot of auction houses out there that are kind of like down, down the chain, so to speak. And I just bought my first piece of like IRL art through one of these auctions Uh, by this artist Pedro Friedberg he's a Mexican artist and his work is so psychedelic and it's like these like I almost imagine them being like DMT realms like I've never done DMT Mm. but based on what people have explained that as that's what they look they're like these psychedelic cathedrals there's like Jewish mysticism in there I I can't get enough of them and he has Pieces that are, like, really... I I bought a very small one, but he has, like, bigger works that I would love, love, love to own. Far
2: out! Very cool. I'm going to go off script, because we didn't really talk much about this, and and you triggered my thoughts on it. Instead of asking the question that's loaded up for me... I love when Bailey goes rogue. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going rogue. (laughs) Embracing myself. When was your first psychedelic experience?
4: (laughs) Hmm. My first psychedelic experience... Uh, well I, well, I did shrooms first when I was, I guess I was 20. It was the summer after my junior year of college. And uh, I had I loved my roommate that year. I lived with three guys that year. Um, I went to Northwestern and I lived off campus in Evanston and and my, my roommate Rob and my friend Al- my very dear childhood friend Alan was visiting and, and we all, you know ate these mushrooms and like if pe- people don't know like uh Evanston Illinois is right on Lake Michigan and it was the summer so we went out to the lake and there are all these painted rocks like people paint all these rocks that are on the lake and they were so colorful and and it just was like this it was just the moment where I knew I was like this is who this is who I am like I'm <laughs> me- I'm meant to do this like I am I am called yes. to do this. Like I'm Bugs Bunny right now, and <laughs> and like love that it just is like bringing me so out of all my insecurities about about my body, about my selfhood. It's like putting me into this like space of just <laughs> like transcending time, and and I it made me so playful. Like I remember, um, you know, and I, it wasn't like a hero. it was it was like a night. It was a nice amount where I was de- definitely potent but it wasn't like too potent and we were coming back to our apartment and um there was like a tour group you know of like young of like teenagers touring the campus and we there was this clock tower on campus (laughs) and I saw this tour group and I went up to them and I went I went That's where the president of the university lives. I know he's my daddy, and I was for some reason just delighting in telling these like these like seventeen year olds like that the president of the university lived at the top of the clock tower and that he was my daddy. He was my papa. And 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 like, and then we went back to my apartment and we were moving out like the next week, and and our walls were painted blue. And we had to, um, our landlord said we had to paint them back to white before we moved. So we knew we had planned, like, oh, we're going to have to paint the walls white. So I had had the thought of getting all this paint and markers and everything. And we just went to town on the walls. And I was just, like, scream laughing, (laughs) finger painting. I painted this enormous, demented face with sharp teeth and, like, blood. (laughs) Like, like, you know, very much (laughs) like my work now. Like, this... (laughs) it's like totally demented vision just like cackling the entire i mean the entire wall i feel i made a mural basically on mushrooms with my hands and i had these these paintings that were like uh these two like victorian women and i wrote dumb bitch one and dumb bitch two over them and was just laughing and laughing and laughing and and like I have this I also like I had a camcorder at the time and I have this all on videotape which you should not do when you're on psychedelics but (laughs) I think it's like on I think it might be on YouTube I think from like back then (laughs) because it just was like I don't know like anyone like there's apprehension right like I was like a good kid I was like oh I don't know (laughs) like these psychedelics I don't know I don't know how this is gonna go. And then it was like discovering, like, holy shit! I'm Timothy Leary. Like, I didn't realize, like, I'm actually meant to be, like, a trickster spirit, and um, it it was life changing. And
2: someday, yeah. someone <laughs> someone's gonna uncover the hidden uh, Evanston Zucker fresco. <laughs> Um, Right.
4: I like that's my dream is one day maybe I could buy that building because we had to we had to paint over it, which I my one of my favorite things to draw with is just a fat Sharpie marker. I still to this day do a lot of my drawings and a lot of my sketch work I do with a Sharpie because it's the easiest way for me to um, translate to the video painter because it's so like the lines are so thick on the video painter. And so I also drew all over one wall with Sharpie. And I then learned, you cannot paint over Sharpie. Like, we had to spackle that wall in order to cover these insane <laughs> things I wrote I all over this. the wall. Like, you know
1: like Sarah's, like, Goya moment.
4: Yeah. Ex- oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> but that's exactly... Find I'm like, the barn, oh, yeah.
1: rip the doors down, exactly. there are some murals underneath Exactly. That <laughs> if I keep going,
4: and, you know, if I keep going with my art career, like, people might actually be quite vested in, like, discovering these... These early works, these early works of mine.
1: <laughs> oh wow! <clears throat> what um, oh, oh, dang, dang. next question? We'll see where this takes us. Um, wh- what website would you say has made the most profound impact on your life?
4: Okay, without overthinking it, I'm going to say eBay. I got really into eBay when I was 10, and which I don't think was like allowed. I probably like most <laughs> websites are supposed to be at least probably 13. Not. But right. I had uh, a thriving, like, I love treasures, and I love I love buying them. I love collecting them. I love selling them. Like, I love just, uh, like, I keep threatening my, my wife that I'm, like, I'm going to become an antiques dealer. Like, I think that I just am going to. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you probably are. She's like, because good. <laughs> I want some of these things to leave our house also. Um, and, yeah, and when I was 10, I just got super into acquiring like little knickknacks and treasures and, and figuring out like um, what they were. Like I i have watched probably every episode of antiques roadshow since it debuted wow. in 1997. And so, um, yeah. And I would have my, I was always getting checks for like $5 in the mail and I'd, I'd sign, I'd give them to my parents and sign them and be like, give me my $5, you know, cause I didn't have a <laughs> bank account. Um, and they eventually were like, <laughs> What are you doing? Why are you getting, che- you're 11. Why are the you original getting flipper. In the mail all the time? Yeah. And like, again, it wasn't like high value stuff, but it was, it was, I was flipping things. I was like buying cool things. I, I was like, I can sell this for more than what I just bought. I got, I got a deal on this and I'd, and I'd write these like glowing descriptions of like this treasure. Right. And I'd upsell it. And, uh, I, I think about it all the time, how like what I do now, why I think I've um, been so <laughs> successful in like being my own art dealer, essentially, is, is that that I just like genuinely have a joy and a passion for, for that kind of thing. I got some shit that's
2: love it. Dick. Sarah, what is your favorite insect?
1: Oh, <laughs>
4: that's a hard one because, because insects, I intellectually, I like insects, but if, you know, uh, in actuality, they're similar to the dogs in the yard. Like, love the doggy don't so much love it when it's coming at me <laughs> and I will I will jump out of my skeleton when I uh see any kind of insect but no oh, what's my favorite kind of insect I don't know if I've ever really I guess I guess lightning bugs lightning bugs are one of the few mm, where I'm like cool. oh, oh you're a friend I like you yeah you don't scare. Yeah, me.
2: they're pretty magical you're, for yeah sure. like, so the- you're
4: pretty you glow just like me yeah. Part part, like part
2: two of this question, I think, is going to be easier for you. What is your least favorite insect? <laughs> uh,
4: I'm going to say maybe an unusual one, that a moth mm. uh, or a butterfly.
2: Oh, you hate butterflies.
4: It Again, intellectually, like cerebrally, I'm like, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. They're fascinating. But if a moth exists in the same space as me... I, I will poop my pants like I, I will not be okay like it's it's like oh god oh no oh no for some reason my body thinks that we're under attack you know like it's the the flippity flap the flippity flap and the too much it's oh it's too overwhelming it's the, too the overwhelming.
2: moths I get but Sarah hates butterflies might be the hot take that we advertise oh this episode with right. Sarah and loves bananas. raw onions and loves onions
4: there you go you guys really <laughs> went cool. deep on this you got you got that that deep info. If you, you have one
1: option. You have one option. You can either time jump into the random future or time jump back to the random past. What do you choose?
4: I'm going to time jump into the random future, which might surprise this people considering how um, how past referential my work is. But but I'm going to say that just out of the sense that like, in the grand course of history, and I think people lose sight of this sometimes because because of the news cycle that there's never been a better time to be alive as a person who has a female body there's never been a better time to be alive to be a queer person like I don't want to go to the past fuck the past like they wouldn't have been so nice to me back then the only way I'd want to go to the past is if I could also jump into the body of a handsome straight white man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and be that in the past. Who's and also would a been, prince. Right. And then it would have yeah. been super duper fun, I'm sure. But if I have yeah. to be me in the past, no bueno. That's not going to be a good time for me. So I'll mm. go to the future.
0: Future. That
2: future
1: Speaking of the past, Bailey.
2: Yeah. Uh, worst job ever, Sarah. What's your worst job ever?
4: Oh, that's an easy one. When I was 17, I worked at TJ Maxx. Uh, I worked in the housewares department, which meant that I had to unpack all of the housewares from the big, like, cargo boxes they came in. Uh, You know, they came in these giant boxes with all this weird packing material sprayed with all kinds of chemicals. And I have very sensitive skin, so I just had like a rash the entire time. Um, and it's you know TJ Maxx not not such a glamorous place. I, I did my best. TJ Maxx it. rash. Yeah, I TJ Maxx rash. That was my life the summer I was seventeen. And I, but I made the most of it. I I would um, organize all of the like weird shit that came in, like the you know these bottles with peppers you know in oil and god only knows what else and i would make dioramas out of them on the end caps and that was not appreciated which might not surprise you to learn that art? i i got a stern talking to about stop trying to make our crap look good um this it's supposed art? to look like garbage that's kind of our whole thing tj Maxx's brand <laughs> is tj Maxx. we sell shit so don't make it look good like they literally they were mad at me because I, I was making it look like it was expensive and they were like we don't we're not selling it because people who come here want things that are cheap so it needs to look break cheap.
1: it Sarah yeah you just it needs, break it, it and needs then put to it on the
4: right if you pick it up, your hand should be slimed with nasty <laughs> ass oil and the, the the you know towels should look like they're going to give you scabies like that's our brand Stop trying to mess with it. So I I did.
1: What was... um, You mentioned Bugs Bunny earlier, but I wonder what your favorite animated series was as a child.
4: Oh my God. Easy, easy, easy answer. Ren and Stimpy. I lived for Ren and Stimpy still live for Ren and Stimpy like I the second I would stay up you know air on snick and the second I heard that first note of the theme song it was like someone had given me cocaine I would like come alive I would I had a whole dance I had a whole routine I would do to that like jaunty jazzy (laughs) theme song and my mom was like telling me this recently that she was like because it was actually, I knew a lot of kids who weren't allowed to watch Ren and Stimpy. A lot of my friends weren't allowed to watch it. it my mom would let me watch it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's very violent. <laughs> it not, not even violent necessarily in like action. It's like violent in just its energy is so <laughs> chaotic. It's very aggro. It's yeah. very aggro. And my mom was telling me this recently. She's like, you didn't know this, but I would cut you off at two episodes because if I didn't, you would like smash your brother's head into the wall or something. Like it it turned me like I turned into a cartoon character and I would be like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go on a delightful <laughs> violent rampage. <laughs> you know? So um yeah, it it like it worked me into a lather that I just it it was so stimulating like the and to this day I think it's one of it's a huge influence in my art, just how twisted and demented and beautiful the animation was and you know I now as an adult also can hold the cognitive dissonance of like the creator John K seems to be not such a great person and has done some bad things people can google that for themselves and you know you can't you you both can't separate the art from the artist and you can like and that's people struggle with that I don't struggle with that that I still think that that show is one of the greatest animated shows, if not one of just greatest any type of show of all time. And, um,
1: yeah, that's yeah. an era that isn't talked about too much. Rocco's yeah. Modern Life, all Real Monsters, oh, like all those God. SNCC cartoons. I mean, Rocco. Like, there are some incredible stories in those episodes. Oh, my
4: God. *Rocco's Modern Life was so good. The B-52s theme song. Like, I continually feel so lucky that I am literally, I think, the perfect age cohort that, like, Nicktoons came out when I was five. Like, Rugrats came out when I was five, I think. And all of that happened right when I was in elementary school. And by the time Nicktoons started to get a little insipid, I was already kind of too old for that kind of content anyway. So it's like I just really hit that sweet spot of like um, there's this great documentary about Nickelodeon in the 90s. I can't remember what it's called. But because of that documentary, I realized I think part of why Nickelodeon was so good. The president of Nickelodeon was a woman. The entire board was were women that, that people I, – I did not know that, that, that it was all – women I know that either. and they were asked and they were asking themselves in because prior to that children's programming had always been what do we as adults think children need to see and these women who many of them were mothers who had their own children who were basically studying their own children were going we need to make content let's stop talking down to kids like they figured out we need to make content that speaks to the pathos of children like there was this great story in it about this this woman who was the president of Nickelodeon who's responsible for all of those great shows for green lighting all of them where she was studying her eight-year-old he came home from school his shoulders slouched like he was just like you know poor little guy like having a bad day and she she asked him like what's up and he was like oh I have homework my teacher that you know and she was saying she was like people don't give enough credit to the fact that children are just small people and they have pain and they have pathos and and then they have these shows that are like hey kids like so patronizing to them and they are hungry for things that get on their level and things that feel a little naughty. Like Nicktoons always felt a little naughty because it was it's like, like the
1: HBO for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and right. it was like,
4: right. It was like, Oh, those grownups, they don't get it, you know? And it was like, totally obviously right. those shows were being made by grownups, but it was being made by grownups who themselves were, were still playful, had retained that sense of playfulness and had not let the play be snuffed out of them by life and what a gift. What a gift they gave all of us with that.
2: Love it. Love it. I'm going to I'm gonna jump a question because I inserted one technically earlier about the psychedelics. And I, I like the question after this question better. So I'm going to jump to the question of what is your ideal afterlife scenario?
4: Oh my God, Jason, you're going to give me an existential crisis. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think to me... If I got to choose, for the party I and- think reincarnation is the best model, right, is I actually been thinking about this a lot lately. This is like a heady topic I've been chewing on um, both just for my life and but also I think in my art. I've been thinking about how like our DNA is really ancient, like our DNA has been around for like, what, 100,000 years And it keeps reiterating. Every generation it reiterates. It's the same DNA reiterating, mixing, you know, becoming something new. And, like, I've lately been taking this kind of, like, psychedelic perspective of, like, oh, what I think of as myself is actually my DNA having an experience called Sarah. And it's why I think sometimes I get really, like, I kind of get fussy with people when they uh, put a lot of like identity politics stuff on me. I, I really don't like being put in a box. My feeling is like, hey, you can put me in a box when I'm dead, but don't don't try to do it any sooner than that. You know what I mean? My DNA is having an experience called Sarah, and I want that to be expansive. And I want to give my DNA a little treat and let it and let it do things it hasn't done before. You know, and I I can say that that's true for me. Like, I guess that's why it's been coming up. Is is um. I've had to really like be taking care of myself. My nervous system has been really overloaded <laughs> with with with, you know, all of this the past 2 years and it's caused some like health stuff for me and um and that's I guess that's where that thought comes from is is this feeling of like well, what do you expect? You're asking your DNA to do something it's never done before. It was you know, my DNA was digging potatoes in in like Eastern Europe for hundreds of years. Like it doesn't know how to be this kind of person doing this kind of stuff tapped into the entirety of human mm. intelligence every single day for better or for worse. Like that's crazy that I'm asking it to do that. But it's also cool. Like it's also really cool. And so I frame it that way for myself because I because I. I feel like I don't want any of this to end. Like I, I want it to keep going. I'm really enjoying the successes I've been having, but I have to get better at handling them and I have to get better at taking care of myself. So I frame it like that to go, it's okay, little doodle. Like you're, you're learning, you're, you're having an experience called Sarah that your DNA has never experienced mm. before. And it's, there's a loading period <laughs> for that. So I think that ties in nicely to the idea of, like, reincarnation in the sense that, like, we don't go to some chicken farm in the sky. We don't just cease completely. That energy gets redistributed. And that maybe when it gets redistributed, redistributed. I don't know. That sounded weird to me. When it gets redistributed, that maybe our energy carries something with it. And maybe the next experience we have will, will, will like, you know, iterate in a way where it knows how to do things a little bit better.
2: It's a perfect answer for a podcast called the darkness.
1: Yeah, that was, I think, I mean, that was, I think we hit 20, 21 questions there, but I really think uh, that that's the perfect way to sort of round this out. I love how these questionnaires always sort of find their, their natural, Ending, and um, I think it's beautiful, Sarah, to sort of like, like sort of think of yourself as a steward of, of your own contents in yeah, a way. Yeah, your legacy. That, that, uh, you know, you, you almost yeah. don't even own them, um, so you kind of ha- can take care of it as much as you you want or don't want, in order for like the next sort of not Sarah <laughs> to, to maybe use it. I think it's a uh, yeah, it's gorgeous, um, oh, Sarah Zucker. Thank you so, so much for, for hanging with us today. Um, for everyone listening, please, please, please check out Sarah's work, uh, sarahzooker.com. Check her out on Super Rare. Check her out on Tezos. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at The Sarah Show. Um, and especially, uh, I think that this is probably going to be airing uh, before this, this peer-to-peer exhibition. Um, so be sure to check that out as well. Um, Thank you so much, Sarah. Always, always lovely to see you, and I I hope to make it happen again.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was great.
0: Hi, yo. It's Benjamin here. I'm a 13-year-old schoolboy from London fascinated by the world of cryptocurrencies. Last year, I launched my own NFT project called Weird Wells, and it went viral. As a young person who's grown up in these rapidly changing times, it's extremely important to document the crypto art and digital assets movement, and that's why I'm honoured to be a part of New Here. New Here is both a film and an NFT project by Dan Sickles, which aims to capture the stories within the crypto art movement featuring some of the greatest minds within the space, such as Tyler Hobbs, G-Money, Claire Silver, and Snowfro. There's three ways you can get involved in the project. The first is to head over to their Twitter and give them a follow. The second is to jump into our Discord, where we have an extremely vibrant community. And the last is to meet a newbie NFT, which you can do so to support the project or at newhere.xyz.
2: Thank you to our guest, Sarah Zucker. It's been an honor having you join us on The Dankness today. Uh, one of the first people that Dan and I thought of when we started this crazy podcast. We were like, who's someone that we both love that we think is like crazy creative and will kind of understand the, uh, the, the madness of our, our vision for this podcast. Um, and we couldn't be happier to have had you as a guest.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Make sure to check out her work at The Sarah Show. Uh, on socials, that's at the Sarah Show and sarazucker.com, S A R A H Z U C K E
2: R.com. And big love to Stella with the, uh, the dank tones, bringing in Magnificent our snifficiness. Yeah. yeah. That's
1: extra dank. Super and dank. You can find us on the interwebs at thedankness.xyz, dankness.xyz, newhere.xyz, and clubnft.com. You can also catch us on our personal accounts at ArtNome at A-R-T-N-O-M-E, and at Dan underscore Sickles. D-A-N, little spacey thing, S-I-C-K-L-E-S.
2: And without further ado, have a danky, danky day. Stella, take us out.
3: visual artists collaborating to make waves in the Dinkiverse with their trippy, acid-infused art project called the Dinktones. They have been super busy lately, working around the clock to create some mind-bending image composition, NFT art that's about to turn heads in the community. They're hitting all the retro music store vibes, the podcast cover art includes stickers, holographics, shrink wrap, and even some redacted sound effects. Yes, you heard that right. This wild duo is bringing back physical media vibes in a big way with this release. But it's not just the medium that's impressive, it's the audio-visual art itself. Flood and Stella's art is truly something special, with bright, bold colors and intricate patterns and zany sound effects that will have you feeling like you're tripping on acid. So if you're a fan of NFT art and you're looking for something a little bit different, definitely check out Flood and Stella's The Daytones Project. Thanks for your time. Have a dank 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 dank.